afternoon. My name is Joseph Pazdeka. I'm the um, Czech journalist, uh, editor-in-chief of Aktualnie.cz, uh, Czech Online Daily. And I'm happy to welcome you at the next discussion uh, about the fate of the Middle Eastern Christians. Uh, uh, and we have an honored guest here, Darius Rosiak, uh, who is a Polish writer and journalist. Darius, welcome here. I have a quote at the beginning uh, from the book that Darius wrote in 2015. Thousands of Middle Eastern Christians die at the hands of Muslim fanatics at this moment. Uh, hundreds of thousands leave their, the places their ancestors lived in for hundreds of years. Uh, they are blackmailed, killed, threatened, left without homes, and we just observe it, how the cradle of our tradition is being destroyed. We watch the atrocities of the Islamic State on TV and perhaps organize the collections of money for charities. That's what we usually do when we want to silence our conscience. That's the theme of our discussion. Uh, it will be in English uh, and it will last for an hour. I will start it with a few of my questions for you to join us. Uh, there will be two microphones uh, among you, so just uh, uh, wait for the ladies to bring it and ask your questions. Uh, feel free to ask. Uh, Darius, can you tell us uh, about the book? This is the book that Darius wrote uh, about the fate of Middle Eastern Christians. Uh, can you tell us briefly how the, how the idea came to you and how the things developed that you wrote the book? Well, th there are s several reasons. The, uh, the most obvious and the most important to me was that about 20 years ago, a British writer, a great British writer, William Dalrymple, uh, wrote a book which is called From the Holy Mountain. Uh, it's a book of his travels uh, starting from Mount Athos throughout the Middle Eastern com Christian communities. He wanted to find out how they lived in mid-90s. Uh, it's a great book, and I got stuck with it for a very long time. And I thought uh, that one of the things I would like to do before I die is to kind of repeat his experience. And... Uh, at some point, it turned out to be possible. I found a publisher uh, who kindly gave me the money uh, to travel. Uh, I couldn't do it the way he did it, which is he basically uh, disengaged himself from uh, any other uh, life duties, and he uh, traveled for, for several months. I couldn't do it, so I, I traveled bit by bit. But basically, I wanted to find out how the Christian communities live uh, in mid-tens, which is, well, I, the, the, I started the book in 2014. Uh, it, the, the, when the book came out, it was obviously regarded as a story about the migrants 
and about the Islamic State and about the Christians being prosecuted, etc., which it wasn't intended to be. I mean, I knew that obviously that Christianity was um, in big troubles in the in in the place where it originated, but I want I didn't want to write a, s a story that was very topical, very uh, actual, up to the date. It somehow it turned out that way that we had a migra migration crisis in the uh, in 2015, and um, uh, and and there was a lot of talk as well about Christian communities in the Middle East. But that was my not my intention. My intention was broader. Uh, I, I come from, a, as you probably know, from a country which claims to be the most Catholic country and the most Christian country in the world, which may or may not be true. We're probably as Catholic as Brazilians. Brazilians think that Jesus was a Brazilian and Poles think that mother, his mother was Polish. Uh, I'm, I'm slightly exaggerating, but only slightly. So I don't think that the idea that Christianity did not originate in Rome, actually, uh, is not very deeply rooted in Polish culture. As a matter of fact, I don't think it's rooted in the Western culture. Uh, it, the, the remnants of, uh, of Christians maybe in Western Europe know better, but uh, it, the, the, the popular idea is that it's a European religion or it's maybe it's a kind of Middle Eastern religion fluidly becoming European religion, which is obviously not the case. Jesus was a Jew, the, the majority of his disciples were Jewish, and for a long time uh, it was a, a Middle Eastern religion. So I wanted to find the roots of it. I wanted to, uh, I wanted to write a book about cultural roots of, uh, of where we are, of who we are. Having said that, uh, I'm, I'm, I, I don't think for a non-fiction writer it is good to establish the subject of your book and the meaning of your book before you write it. Uh, you shouldn't think about the meaning of your book before you write it. You should write a story and then the meaning comes out of the story. So I wasn't that much interested in what the book is going to be about. I was more interested in finding the right people to talk and uh, gathering stories of human lives, which m were mostly sad, but not all of them. And very soon I found out that uh, it's not going to book about, uh, you know, burning the cathedrals and, and people dying and, and people struggling for survival, etc. Uh, as the cover of the book shows, it's not a book about death. And I didn't want it to be about death and decay. I want it to be about survival. And I, I hope it I is. I heard that the, your book originated uh, through a, in a meeting uh, with some migrants in Sweden. Is that right? Can you tell us ab about the, no, that was the, the people? Yeah, that was the first. Dalrymple went to Mount Athos to begin his story. I went to Sweden. I went to 
Södertälje, which is a suburb of, of uh, Stockholm, uh, which is a, a, a place where there are 30,000 Assyrians living, Assyrian Christians. Uh, and, and they come from one particular place. They come from a place which is called Turabdin, uh, which is in the south of Turkey, southern Turkey, very close to the Syrian border. There used to be hundreds of thousands of Assyrian Christians living in that area. Now there are 2,000 left. And there are 30,000 Assyrian Christians living in Södertälje in Stockholm, which is a paradox, funny if you may call it that way, but this clearly shows what happens, what has been happening to Christian to Christians in, uh, in the Middle East, and especially in Turkey, not all of the Middle East, which we'll come to later, but certainly in Turkey over the last hundred years, starting with what we call the Armenian genocide, which was basically uh, uh, killing, ethnic cleansing, and, and, and throwing out all the and and ma and, and um, mm, mass conversion of Christians to Islam to avoid death uh, from 1915 on to 24 something like that, uh, and then successive waves of migration again ethnic cleansing all sorts of violence political decisions in Turkey. Uh, made uh, most of Christians from southern part of the country, Istanbul is a different story, but from the southern part of the country, leave it. And most of them went to Södertälje, uh, which, as I said, is a very paradoxical thing. Uh, they started after the Cyprus crisis in the mid-70s, and then the rest of them joined their families and somehow it turned out to be uh, an Assyrian city in the middle of Sweden uh, as a suburb of the Swedish capital. So I went there to, uh, uh, to begin my, my journey and it was uh, very exciting. It was very exciting to find people who were recreating their uh, conflicts, who were recreating their history in a place which was completely different. Uh, when I say conflict, this community is, is, is very divided. For instance, they have two football teams. They have two bishops. They have uh, people competing with each other from two sides who regard the history of Assyrian Christianity differently. It's uh, it, 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 it sounds rather silly, but they fight the dogmatic uh, dogmatic histories about the, the 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 essence of Jesus or the essence of Mary uh, from the fourth, sixth, or seventh century in this little suburb of Södertälje, and they recreate it in divisions which. Uh, which are uh, 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 which which can be seen even now. 
So uh, that was where I began my story. And that was the place where you met particular people who set out for the journey to find out uh, where they lived? Yes, that was, that was, I knew I had to go there, um, not only to make contact, but also to, to it, it kind of, as a narrative for me, it was a, it was a good beginning. And then I went to southern Turkey to where these people should live, basically, if, were they not for the last hundred years? Was it not for the last hundred years? Uh, so, so we, uh, so I, I went to southern Turkey there to, to the places where you still have these large, uh, big houses that, that and 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 uh, and, and um, com communities where, where there are very few monks, but there is still a very neat community and this is something which has to be said perhaps from the very beginning that these people identify themselves with religion this is something which i think is the biggest the greatest difference between us and them uh, when i said uh, 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 when i talked about poland being the most catholic country poland is like any other western country we are a post-religious society a post-religious nation, meaning uh, we live in a, uh, in a world which is defined by individualism and where identity can be chosen. You can choose your own identity. People define themselves by various identity identities. You can define yourself as a woman. You can define yourself as a gay person. You can define yourself as a, I don't know, Legia Warsaw fan. This may be the most important thing in your life. And this is all for, for grabs. You can choose it and you can live it. Whereas people in the Middle East, uh, be it Christians or Muslims or whatever religion, they define themselves, they still define themselves uh, by their religion. They're closely knit around, the community is knit around the religion that they live. Uh, they don't have to be ideal Catholics or ideal Assyrians or ideal uh, 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 Armenians or Greek as far as the religion goes. But, but talking about community and talking about the way they see the world is through the spectrum of religion. And I think this is very, very important to see the difference uh, which I think is the most, the major one, the most important between us and them. You traveled through uh, Turkey, Iraq, Lebanon, Egypt. Uh, what was the biggest uh, surprise? What was something that you didn't expect? Because you obviously studied, you knew something about the fate of the Christians. Uh, but what was the most touching? What was the most surprising thing that you found out? It's always the most imp important and most interesting uh, the, the human stories and the human meetings, the meeting people. Uh, because as I said, you don't meet people for whom religion is as important. I d to, to, to begin with, I'm not a very religious person. I didn't 
write the book and I didn't take it up as a, as a religious experience. I'm often asked how the book changed you. It didn't. I don't think I, I uh, well, I had some religious illumination. I, I, I don't think it happened to me. But I, it was a, 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 an extremely moving human experience to see people who think differently, who are uh, extremely proud of who they are, who are struggling with enormous determination to keep their homes and to keep their communities in such adverse circumstances, in, in a situation in which they're doomed to, uh, to fail. They're doomed to, um, to actually leave this place because what's been happening over the last hundred years, as I said, is the diminishment of this community uh, from around 20% to about four or five percent now, depending on how you count uh, Egyptian Copts, who are the largest Christian community in that area. Uh, but it's only about 10, 15, maybe 15 million people living in the whole of the Middle East and the western part of uh, the eastern part of North Africa, especially Egypt. So. They know, some of them know they're doomed to fail. Some of them know that maybe their generation is the last one, or maybe their kids will leave, or maybe their grandkids will leave the homes that they've uh, stayed in for the last 2,000 years. There is this famous anecdote of, a, of, a, an, of an American general in Iraq in 2003 coming to Mosul, which is uh, the, uh, one of the oldest Christian cities in the Neneva plain, uh, meeting a, a family there and asking the family, asking the father of the family, uh, who are you? And he says, I'm a Christian. So the general asks, when did you convert? And the guy says, about 2,000 years ago. And it's not just to say, you know, to make fun of the ignorance of the Americans, which we all like, but uh, it's, it's also to, 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 to stress how important this place was. We tend to think that the Arab world is a Muslim world. It didn't used to be. Up until the beginning of the 20th century, up until the... Uh, the solution of the Ottoman Empire, it didn't used to be. The Arab world comprised of all the all the three big great religions, which is monotheistic religions, which is uh, Christianity, Judaism, and, and Islam. And also, also Judaism, remember that. There are, s there are some people who called themselves Arab Jews. It's only now that we, are, we have come to this point when the Arab world in the Middle East is being considered as this uh, uh, uni-religious uh, community, Muslim community.
which it is going to be sooner or later, but, but it, it didn't have to be that way. Darius, you had a very interesting talk about uh, recently uh, at the TEDx uh, uh, event in Warsaw speaking about your personal encounters, meetings with some of the specific people in the Middle East. It was very moving. Can you remind us of some of the stories uh, uh, that really touched you upon? Uh yeah, that's, uh, that's what I mentioned, that the, the most interesting and the most moving uh, part of the journey was meeting people, and especially the people that you don't meet every day. So uh, I, I mentioned three stories. One was about a woman who claimed to have been uh, cured by St. Charbel. She was paralyzed, apparently. Uh, and uh, at, at some point, St. Charbel, that's what she claimed, St. Charbel, who is a Lebanese Maronite um, saint came to her during the night and he cured her. And she was uh, presented, she presented to me with, a, you know, uh, medical, uh, medical um, documentation that it's incomprehensible and nobody could uh, explain why that happened to her. And, and, and also for me as a, as a, as a writer and as a person who who collects such experience experiences, uh, it was a very important trial, as I said, because you can obviously say th this is nonsense what you're saying. It never happened to you. you there must be some medical explanation, uh, but it wouldn't make sense. She believes, just like Lebanon is a, is a special place in many respects, but in one respect, the, all the Christians, and I think the Muslims as well, they believe that miracles happen every day, basically. Uh, and, and this woman was absolutely persuaded, 100% sure that what happened to her was the result of St. Charbel's and, and Virgin Mary's activities. Uh, it, it's important to say and to be able to withhold your judgment and not to judge people, especially if you want to know who they are. Uh, one other very moving story was a story about in southern Turkey in a place called, called Kahta, very close to a place uh, where the church was, which is Adiyaman, which was the basically the center of political Islam, or one of the centers of political Islam in the in Turkey at that time, and Christians had very difficult had it very difficult. It was very difficult for them to to live in that area. And I met a family that was forced to convert to Islam in 1915 when the genocide happened they s they converted but they uh they converted being forced to it not of their own will obviously they wanted to stay alive so get to so they converted uh and and i met this woman who uh 
her, her grandmother praying and crossing herself. She saw her cross herself after she, she went back from the mosque. It was many years ago. And, and this girl, she was a girl then, she asked, Granny, why are you doing it? So for a long time, the granny didn't want to talk about it, but at some point she finally revealed that we used to be Christians. All our family used to be Armenian Christians. Uh, but we were forced to convert. Uh, so when I come home, I just pray to, 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 to Jesus. And this girl, her name was Guzin. She decided to baptize herself, to Christian herself, when she gets, uh, when, she, she, when she is an adult, which she did in 2009 or something like that, I think. And she even found herself uh, a Christian husband, which was very difficult to find for a woman in that area. Uh, and they, they were, again, extremely proud and extremely happy to be Christians. And for me, the story uh, reminded me, obviously, of many analogies, like, for instance, Jews from Poland, po po Polish-Jewish stories of people uh, converting to Catholicism to save their lives. Uh, and 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 also, I was extremely proud to to have met this woman because she was uh, she was a heroine. She was she she lived against the the norms of that society, which uh, uh, w and 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 anyway, it was also extremely dangerous for her and for the whole family. So that was the kind of stories that I talked about at TED, at, at, and also that was the kind of stories that I found most interesting and the most moving while writing the book. The publication of your book um, uh, in 2015 coincided with a big exodus of people trying to cross the, the, the sea to Europe, um, coming from Turkey to Europe, uh, the so-called migration crisis. Uh, did it influence the reception of the book? Uh, what were the, re uh, the reaction? Because uh, obviously writing as a Polish writer about the Christians uh, seems to be you know, something positive. Uh, but on the other hand, we saw big problems in um, admitting uh, you know, the problem exists, uh, uh, admitting these people uh, maybe in Poland, in Czech Republic, wherever in Europe, uh, there was a strong opposition, people rejecting to accept anybody on their soil. Uh, what was the atmosphere when the book came out? And what well, obviously the book came out in late 2015, so there had to be some kind of connection, at least people made this connection, which as I said earlier, wasn't especially intended. Uh, and also, as some of you no, the migration crisis has not did not erupt in 2015. It b it's been ongoing for the last two decades. It's only in 2015 that the European leaders decided to do anything about it, to do something about it. 
And uh, yes, Poland was a country which was very much uh, against, when I say Poland, I mean, I mean Polish government, was against the uh, reception of, of immigrants, and it still is. Uh, it, it, and it doesn't really matter if they're, uh, they're migrants or they are um, refugees. Poland has not accepted, uh, apart from individual cases, they has not accepted refugees or migrants from Middle East until now, and it's probably not going to. Uh, it, it, it does it matter if if they are Christians or not Christians? I think it doesn't. Uh, uh, well, obviously, I believe that if you cannot accept a Muslim refugees, you will a Muslim refugee, you will not accept a Christian refugee either, which proved to be the case. And in very few cases of because there wasn't a wave of violence in Poland in 2015 or 16, but in, a f in individual cases where there was acts of violence against people who looked like they were from the Middle East, obviously the attackers didn't ask for w what religion are you. They just didn't like the look of the person or they didn't like the, uh, the, the, the identity of the person. So, um, so yes, there was this link, and and I think uh, people, people, and especially the government uh, made it basically impossible to accept large numbers of migrants in 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 Poland, migrants from the Middle East, because obviously. I don't know how the situation is in the Czech Republic, but we have plenty of migrants from Ukraine uh, at the moment. We have over a million people from the Ukraine. Uh, so yes, the book was somehow connected to it, which I think didn't didn't do anything good or bad. I had to I, I simply had to answer questions about it. Yeah, but I mean, my question was basically whether it helped. Uh, the Poles, the Polish readers, to understand the fate, uh, the tragic fates of the Christians, and uh, one would obviously. I think they're ask more aware uh, now. Yeah. I think they're more aware, and uh, my book may have been a factor, although I wouldn't exaggerate the the, the, the importance of it. But I think there's been uh, uh, quite a quite a few uh, collections, money collections for the for the Christians in Syria, especially. And, and in Iraq and in other places. I mentioned that there is a difference. You, you can't talk about Middle Eastern Christians because there's no such thing as Middle Eastern Christians. There are Christians in Lebanon, there are Christians in Egypt, in, there are Christians in Israel, there are Christians in Syria, there are Christians in Iraq, and they all have different lives. They all, all have very different, uh, uh, they all live in very different circumstances. Obviously, Christians in Iraq and especially in the Nineveh Plains, they suffered enormously. And places like Mosul, which used to be the center of Christianity of the Middle East of that area, they are they are free of Christians now. Uh, I met people who said they will never 
ever get back to Mosul uh, because they, their houses were destroyed, their neighbors uh, betrayed them, and they have, no, they have nowhere to live. And up until now, Mosul was liberated in 2017. So up over the last two years, there's about 40 families that got back to that place. Uh, and it's quite impossible to recreate the Christian community in it, I think. And I think most people agree uh, Lebanon or Israel are very different places as well. I mean, it, Lebanon was a was a lab of multi-religious society created by the French in the twenties, uh, and it it's a fail. It was a failed experiment. The civil war in the seventies and eighties showed that that it was impossible to for all these for all these groups to, to live together. Israel is another example of where Christians, especially Palestinian, because we're talking mainly about Palestinians, are discriminated against, but they're not discriminated against because of their religion, because religiously speaking, Israel is a free country. You can worship whatever God you want, and you could all the churches are open, and, and, the, and there are places in Israel where there are no Jews. Uh, there are there are communities or there are um, villages uh, where there are no Jews. There are zero Jews. There are only Arab, ca Catholic Arabs or or, uh, um, or Muslim Arabs, for instance. So it's not a question of uh, of religion. It's a obviously a, quest a, a political question. If the if Palestinians are being discriminated against, it's because they're Arabs, because they're Palestinians, and they're being regarded as the as the enemy of the of the Israel and Egypt another uh, example of uh, of a place which in which people have suffered enormously over the last decades uh, under under military or authoritarian rule which could not contain the political islam that uh, that developed in that country and and Copts have been threatened again with this with extinction. Some of you may remember last year the Palm Sunday uh, bombing in Alexandria, where almost 50 people died. So this is extremely uh, volatile period, a very extremely dangerous period for all. For not for all these communities, but for some of them, especially in places like Egypt, especially in places like Syria or um, or Iraq, the situation is stabilizing, as we see. Uh, and um, but it's very doubtful that these communities will recreate themselves, especially in places like Iraq or Syria. There is last question from myself, and then we'll uh, ask the audience. But uh, how do you understand the strong opposition to accepting even the Middle Eastern Christians in Poland uh, uh, and perhaps in the other countries, given the fact that you've described their fate as uh, 
uh, there's a strong religious connection, Christians to Christians, but still the country strongly rejects, and it's not only the political parties, but also the society. How do you understand it? Uh, how is it possible that at least part of these Syrian Christians uh, uh, that left Turkey and live in Södertälje uh, do not live in Poland? I think you shouldn't exaggerate the, the similarity between Eastern Christianity and, and Catholicism and Roman Catholicism, especially as it is practiced in Poland. These Eastern, Middle Eastern Christians, if you go to a Coptic church, it looks like a, uh, like a mosque. Uh, all their practices are very much influenced both ways by Islam and Christianity. Uh, so they're much closer to uh, Islam, I would say, than to Roman Catholicism, especially in Poland. Why we are closed on Middle Eastern uh, migrants or refugees or Middle Eastern people in, in general? Several reasons. I, I think uh, if you asked Poles in mid 2015, which is before the election campaign started, uh, what they think about accepting migrants, the majority would say that we want them. It's the political campaign before the election that created all the divisions and that created a language, a rhetoric, which was very hate, full of hate and full of contempt towards the migrants. Uh, and I think that that is one of the reasons which is very, which is political, let's put it that way. But there are cultural reasons as well. And, and, and I think they're much more difficult to judge. Poland is a basically uni-ethnic, uni-religious country, and it has been since the war. It's not our fault. We used to be a multi-ethnic multi-religious country. There used to be Catholics and uh, Protestants and Eastern Christians and Jews, obviously, and Muslims in Poland before the war. Uh, after the war, when Jews were murdered, uh, Germans were chased out and moved to, the, uh, to, to, to Germany Poland was moved to the West, so people who practiced Eastern Christianity found themselves in the Soviet Union. Poland became a uni-ethnic Polish Catholic society. And Polishness meant Catholicism for a long time, maybe up until very recently, where people questioned that that uh, equation, let's put it that way. People have started questioning it, but not uh, in a sense that we want a multi-religious uh, society or multi-religious nation, but more and more people st simply give up on Catholicism, which is a different story. Uh, so you have to understand that there, are, there have been several generations of people who have not known otherness, who have not known different ways of expression 
of religious expressions other than Catholicism. And I find it understandable, if, if acceptable or if I like it is another story, but uh, I find it understandable that people are scared, people are worried, people don't know. They would have, we, we're not a place uh, like Britain or France that have accepted migrants for at least six or seven decades with all the problems connected with it, as we know. Uh, so the easy way to avoid the problems and the political way to avoid the problems was not to accept anybody. And somehow people got, uh, uh, somehow people accept that solution, accepted that solution, which was presented to them by, by law, uh, law and Justice Party and, and the government at that point in 2015. Uh, so that that I think is the reason why all the thanks. Let's open the floor for for your questions. Do you have any questions? If you have, please wait for the microphone. There's a lady there. Thank you so much for coming to Australia. I would like to ask you, what do you think about um, sort of European stance, perhaps European Union? What should be the stance against this hate in? Uh, Middle East uh, towards Christians? Uh, should we perhaps take responsibility as Europeans for these massacres and, and everything bad that happened? It's, it's, it's obviously, as I said, it's very difficult to, to say, of course, that everybody should take responsibility for people who suffer. But the question is how you do it. The, 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 po the policy that was adopted by the European Union and by Angela Merkel, the German Chancellor, at that time, which is 2015, did not work, and, and we know it. Uh, all the, uh, all the mm, attempts at forcing some countries to accept migrants have not worked out, and they, they're not going to. Uh, whether it was a good policy, I again, is, is, is a different question. Well, I met many people in the Middle East who said, this is wrong if you accept us easily. Because if you, I met somebody who said, the, the Islamic State is throwing is throwing us out of our homes and you give us passports for us to move to Europe and we don't want that we want to stay where we belong this is our place uh, the the European policy was guided by very many different reasons by sympathy by compassion by political correctness sometimes, uh, and it didn't work. Uh, what is going to work? It's very difficult to say. It's, it's, it's probably, and there should be some kind of attempt at at least trying to recreate these communities where they exist and where they still live. Uh, uh, and 
for instance, I think, I actually think that the Iraqi Kurdistan did more to Middle Eastern Christians, the Iraqi Christians, first of all, more than anybody else. They accepted hundreds of thousands of people thrown out by the Islamic State. They had a terrible economic crisis and social crisis because of the influx of mainly Christians, but again, Muslims as well, because it has to be said that obviously Christians were not the main victims of the Islamic State. Christians were, are a minority in the Middle East, and only uh, if, you're if you're talking about the numbers, the, the, main, uh, the main victims were the, the, the Muslims who did not accept the Islamic State rule. Uh, so, th uh, an attempt at r recreating these communities should be probably the, uh, uh, the kind of the, 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 the our guiding principle. Uh, whether it's possible, we're going to see. I think mo very many people in the Middle East think it is hardly possible. It is almost impossible to recreate these communities and are they going to disappear or are they going to change into into uh, mm, some kind of uh, tourist attractions another question hello i have a question for darius as well um, you mentioned speaking about coptic christians that they expect in one or two generations their mixture of faith and culture will disappear I would like to ask you about their attitude towards the rest of Christianity. Do, do they feel betrayed that they should be getting help from the dominating world religion, which is Christianity? Or, and how do they approach their Muslim Arab neighbors? What is, the, what is their approach to, uh, do, they, do they feel that or do they see Islam as a threat to their faith. I mean, being expansive now. Thank you. Thank you for that, for that question. I think it's, it's very important to stress that for a long time in the Ottoman Empire, because this is what we're talking about, that all this area used to be Ottoman, the Ottoman Empire until the early 20s of the, uh, of the 20th century. And until the wave of European nationalism at the beginning of the 20th century, which created the modern state of Turkey, which created Poland, which created all these uh, countries in the in, um, Central Europe and, uh, and, and some of them in, in other parts of, uh, parts of Europe. Until that moment, Christians live in stability and in peace with Islam. Uh, Christians were certainly better treated in the Ottoman Empire than Jews or Muslims in Europe. Uh, there was, as the three monotheistic religions, Jews, uh, uh, Christians, and Muslims, obviously, uh, Christians and Jews were 
we shouldn't exaggerate. The Ottoman Empire was not a European Union. Not everybody was free. You had to accept that Islam was the ruling religion, was the religion that was established. Uh, having said that, there was no problem. It's only in the early 20s and after the uh, the or Armenian genocide or the Christian genocide, because as I said, it's called Armenian genocide, but there were Assyrians and Greeks uh, as well uh, who were killed and, and, uh, and threatened and forced to convert. Uh, it's only after that that the conflicts emerged. And in the current situation, it's the rise of political Islam, it's the rise of Wahhabi Islam that, that was a threat and that is a threat to these communities. Uh, when, you met, when I met Christians uh, in the Middle East and uh, when I met them in Sodertalje, most of them told me we didn't have any problems up until 2010, 2012. We didn't have any problems with our neighbors. We lived in peace with them. Uh, I, I went to school with people and I didn't know if they were Christian or if they were Muslims. Some of them, because in some of these countries, women didn't have to wear a scarf, didn't have to cover their, uh, their head. It's only with the rise of political Islam that the problems uh, arose. And I don't think there is any kind of hatred uh, of Christians, of Middle Eastern Christians towards uh, Muslims. Uh, of course, with exceptions, I met people from Mosul or from the area of Mosul who said, our neighbors betrayed us because the story of Mosul and the story of the area is, is, a, is, a, is an extremely uh, uh, sad, uh, event when in 2014, in July 2014, the Islamic State came to that area and they chased out everybody and people had to run away and, and, ca uh, and, and Christians there felt abandoned and they felt betrayed by their neighbors, some of whom cooperated with the Islamic State. But if you talk to people who lived in northern Syria, in places like Kamishli, uh, if you talk to Syrian Christians, or if you talk to Palestinian, especially Palestinian Christians, Palestinian Christians don't have a problem with Muslims. They have a problem with political Islam. They don't want, and they didn't want the Islamic State to establish themselves in, in the West Bank. But, but they didn't have a problem with their uh, Islamic or Muslim neighbors. Uh, and what's more, they treated the Palestinian fight as a, as a national fight, regardless of, of, the, uh, of, of religion. And, uh, and there are Christian Palestinians um, fighters who, who, uh, who fight against Israel as well. So, 
Mm, no, there are. There, I wouldn't say that there is any kind of hatred or ill 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 feelings between the two communities, as such. Uh, but under the circumstances, especially over the last eight years or ten years, it's uh, the, uh, the, the 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 distance is growing. I think there's a room for one last question, and I will ask I will ask that question in the foreword uh, to your book that I mentioned at the beginning. Uh, you said uh, we just observe how the cradle of our tradition is being destroyed. Uh, is it really true? Do you think uh, that what we are witnessing is the demise of a majority of Christianity in the Middle East, uh, uh, given the circumstances, given the rise of the political Islam? What's your prediction for the coming years? Are we witnessing really the demise of the Christianity there? I can't predict anything, obviously, but I think I, I think it's going to be more and more difficult for these people to survive. Also, because uh, it's it's especially in the West, it's very difficult to defend Christianity. Uh, some of you may know, some of you may don't have to know that there's a, there's a report by by the British uh, Foreign Office uh, about two two months ago, a couple of months ago which states very clearly that about 80% of people who suffer religious discrimination in the world are Christians. So it's a large majority of, of all people who suffer discrimination, violence, any forms of aggression are Christians. Uh, and still, uh, it, we live in a world, especially in Europe, in which it is uh, kind of assumed that Christianity is the perpetrator of evil rather than the uh, victim of suffering, especially in Western Europe. And it's politically incorrect in many places to defend Christianity that much. And you have plenty of examples of that. So I think it's another factor that which, which will not help these people uh, and and uh, uh, so, as I said, I, I'm I'm not a prophet, and seeing what's been going on over the last decades, it's very difficult to imagine that the tide is going to turn the other way. Uh, having said that, I think there will still there will always be people who will who will stay there and who will try to to. To survive, and it's um, it's it's not in the numbers that their strength lies. It's in, in their determination, and it's in their uh, conviction. That was Darius Roszak, a Polish writer and journalist, uh, about the fate of Eastern Middle Eastern Christians. Uh, the author of the book uh, *Seed and Blood* about their fate and his personal journey towards them. I want to thank you, Darius. Thank you very much. And I want to thank you for coming.